Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, leaky back, Carlos Correa. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching us on YouTube, smash the like button like your Brandon Davis. You have consent. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Knock that out while you're here. Let's get into it. We are in the days leading up to uh, the Christmas holiday, and it seemed like we were headed for a pretty uneventful week. Only one game all week uh, on the schedule between two teams that are currently ranked in the AP poll on a surface level. Look boring. But then Tuesday somehow was anything but boring. Four ranked favorites lost to lower-ranked or unranked underdogs. Here's the list. Number six, Virginia lost at number 22, Miami, 66-64. Number 14, Duke lost at unranked Wake Forest, 81-70. Number 15, Mississippi State lost to unranked Drink inside Pinnacle Bank. 58-52, number 24 Marquette lost at unranked Providence, 103-98 in double overtime on CBS Sports Network. Deadleg, what's the biggest surprise from that group of upsets for you? Mm, the biggest surprise of them all? I think State losing was actually the biggest surprise. Um, Reed, the way it happened, or or with, with the SEC having a, a a pretty terrible Tuesday. Maybe that just keeps in line with with the pattern that we saw developed across the conference. Just bad losses for teams outside of Mississippi State, which you know hadn't lost at this point. But Ole Miss taking its loss. Um, I don't know. It was it was a it was a rough one. North Alabama taking out Ole Miss. I thought was uh, not good for Kermit Davis. I, I guess I would register. I mean, Drake's a solid team, um, not a total stunner. But the way that Mississippi State have been playing. I don't know. I wasn't surprised at Miami. Like I thought Miami had a good chance at winning. I was surprised that Georgetown gave UConn a real good run. Maybe that's actually the biggest one. That that overall. is like that. That's the biggest surprise of Tuesday is that uh, UConn was down at home to a really bad Georgetown team with like twelve minutes to go, but UConn of course rallied and ended up winning the game by eleven. So the Huskies are still thirteen and zero with thirteen double digit victories. But it 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 it, it, it got a, a little more stressful than it should have been on Tuesday night. It did, and then they they had some sort of fifteen two seventeen two run, so it wound up uh, it wound up going all right overall there. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like, if I could just focus on the SEC real quick here, like you know, we don't make a huge we don't need to make a huge deal about Mississippi State losing, but the fact that it, it did lose, and then it's really been a little bit of a tough, tough stretch going back Sunday. Auburn lost against USC. We talked about uh, Kentucky's issues overall. And for the conference, which I think will be which will be fine, uh, just not good. Florida was handily defeated against Oklahoma. Nada was at was at that game in the uh, in the Jordan Brand Classic, and then we'll talk about the other half of that in a little bit because there's a nice one uh, coming up tonight. And then Texas A&M losing at home to Wofford. Just I don't know, one on top of the other, on top of the other, a couple quad four losses in there too. And so uh, while the SEC, the top of it will be fine. It's just been a rough, even more than 24 hours. Although it was rough on on Tuesday with all these teams losing, uh, it's been a rough 72 hours or so for the league. So that was, I think that was my largest takeaway overall of the past couple of days there, but obviously we got to get to uh, what happened in the ACC with Virginia and Duke. What about you? What are your, what are your biggest impressions? The, biggest, uh, the most surprising result for me was yes. Uh, Mississippi state losing a neutral court game uh, to Drake. 
which is, of course, as as listeners of the On College Basketball podcast know, is the first university ever named after a hip hop star. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, you know, but 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 Mississippi State was only a five and a half point favorite in that game. Duke was actually a seven point favorite at Wake Forest. So relative to the point spread, the biggest surprise of those four teams losing Marquette, Virginia, Mississippi State and Duke. Um, the biggest surprise was Duke, although it should be noted Duke was without two of its five star freshmen. Did the uh, line reflect that is my question, because I, I wonder if that line drops to, say, four and a half or, or five right the last th- the last number I saw was Duke at minus seven. Um, it, it's I guess it's possible it came down uh, at, at tip off, but uh, I, I doubt it went. I, I doubt it got below the five and a half if it moved at all. I doubt it got below the five and a half that Mississippi State was was favored by. So, um, Duke, you know, D- Duke losing relative to the point spreads was the biggest surprise. But you know, Wake Forest has. One at Wisconsin, and you're in a true road environment against a uh, you know an ACC uh, in-state rival. So you know it, it is what it is. O- on that note, I-, I will say I saw this graphic pop up last night. Duke is now ten and three. Ten and three. I got a trivia time for you. <laughs> trivia time. When was yeah. the last time the Blue Devils lost three games before New Year's? Uh. I wonder if this is a trick question. Was it not 2021, man? Because that was a terrible year for Duke. God, I hope not. <laughs> I, I got. I, I took a picture of this graphic with my phone. So if I can uh, prove to you, on. I can well, prove a, to it you. It was a shortened year. Hold on. Remember, remember they, they bailed on a couple of non-conference games? Yeah, hold on. Yeah, 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 they quit. They said, you know what? We're done playing. <laughs> And, 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 so, and because of that, you are correct. This is not an, at least as far as I can tell, because I did just bring up 21. Uh, Duke played. What was the, frame the question again? When was the last time the Blue Devils lost three games before New Year's? Okay. So in 2021, the Duke Blue Devils played a grand total in the 2021 season. Grand total. Trivia time. How many <laughs> games do you think they played before New Year's? I'm looking at it now. Five. They played five games. They went three and two. So that's why. So that's okay. So with that out of the way, um, GP, I'm going to say that is such a fascinating question that you're dropping on me because I feel like it had to have happened this century. I'll say I'll say they famously uh, were, a, were a trendy and, and rightful upset victim uh, pick in 07 when they lost to VCU. I'll say the 06, 07 season was the last time that happened. The correct answer, far as I know, according to something I saw on TV last night and took a picture of, the correct answer is the 1982-83 no. season. No. 82-83 is the last time Duke lost three games before New Year's. This was Coach K's third season at Duke, and the Blue Devils finished that season 11-17 overall, 3-11 and in the ACC after that season. Mike Krzyzewski was 38 and 47 overall at Duke, 13 and 29 in the ACC through three years. That's hot seat stuff. And then, of course, he made 11 straight NCAA tournaments, six of the next nine Final Fours, which is in- ridiculous. It is. That's yeah. That's six of the next nine Final Fours. Two of the he and won two of the next nine national championships. The rest, as they say, is is history. But to go from being 38 and 47 overall in your first three years at Duke to making six of the next nine final fours is like uh, that, that's got to be the biggest turn uh, yeah. in the history of college basketball. Uh, that and uh, it took longer for Scott Drew. It was a slow boil with Baylor, but uh, from what Baylor was to win a national title, but that doesn't. Yeah, matter. I don't, I don't, I don't mean like uh, like you I'm take just... a bad thing and make it into something great, like Scott did at Baylor or John Calipari did at UMass. I mean, like, yo, you're about to get fired. Never mind, you're going to make six of the next nine Final Fours. How about that? How about that? You go to that, you go to Mike Shuskin that day, and you say, "Listen, Mike, um, you just wrapped up your third season at Duke. You're 38 and 47 overall, 13 and 29 in the ACC. This is clearly not going well. But I got good news. You're going to make six of the next nine Final Fours. What? I mean, even Mike Shuskin would have been like, would have been like, this is where you're supposed to do your Mike Shuskin impersonation. I love Duke. <laughs> I love it. I love this program. Uh, man, that is one hell of a stat, though. Now, we'll note, yes, they didn't have 
whitehead and lively non-covid illness as it was described duke now has 11 days off will play florida state on new year's eve the loss is understandable kansas by five champions classic drilled by purdue uh in in the pk 85 um and yeah uh, i mentioned on the pod when that happened but just kind of walking and talking with shire from the locker room out to the team bus and uh he looked like he he encountered a <laughs> just a dominating machine there in the Boilermakers, and then at Wake Forest. Now, Wake Forest, we'll see what they become. Steve Forbes is a hell of a coach, and he didn't anticipate a rebuild like this. We mentioned this in our ACC preview. He did not think he was losing Jake Laravia to the first round of the NBA. Are you kidding me? From Indiana State, didn't anticipate that. Thought he'd have him back. Now, Alondis Williams was an older player, was the ACC Player of the Year, wasn't stunned to lose him, but. Yeah, like a little bit more of a rebuild here. And, you know, we don't need to go uh, way steep on Wake right now, but a nice win to get to nine and four. Um, Wake's lost to Loyola, Marymount, Clemson, LSU, and Rutgers. It has that road win against Wisconsin. So who knows? If Wake actually gets it together and Forbes winds up getting this team into, you know, the fifth or sixth spot in the ACC, maybe we wind up talking about the Deeks as we get toward the end of February as being a potential bubble team. This was a good one. You get it on your home floor and you're able to really take Jeremy Roach out of his game. Kyle Filipowski, I think they both had nine points apiece there. So the, a, a good win for Wake. We'll see what happens. They've got another chance. If we want to take them seriously, how about this? We'll talk about Wake again. They got Virginia Tech at home on New Year's Eve, and then they're at North Carolina and at Louisville. You get out of that two and one, then you might have a stew. You might have a stew cooking there with Duke. I, you know, it, you know, you, you take the loss and we'll see how they respond. Their next games are again, FSU, New Year's Eve, NC State on January 4th and then BC on January 7th there and then they're home against Pitt. So I would anticipate at minimum, at minimum, Duke to go three and one in that stretch as they curl toward the new year here. But as I said this on HQ, I didn't hit Wednesday morning. We really might just need uh, the entire season to evaluate Duke. Like I didn't have him top 10 in the preseason. I was skeptical this would be a top 10 outfit but I had them like 15 or 16 overall. And that just might be what they'd be. They might float between this team that's, you know, ranked 12 or 13 and down into the 20s. If they dropped out of the poll altogether at some point, wouldn't be surprising there. It's Shire's first year. Really young team. Hasn't had a, a whole lot of health luck overall as well. And so they're going to get through it. I think they'll make the tournament. They'll make it with room to spare. But this is... This might well, because the ACC is also not going to provide overwhelming quad one opportunities. It will have some, but they're not going to be rolling game after game after game, which could actually benefit a team this young. Uh, we just, we're just we probably going to be looking at a Duke team that's had its worst seed since... I'm going to go back to what I answered with the trivia time, GP. The last time Duke wasn't a 1, 2, 3, or 4 was back in 07. It was that 6 seed when it got knocked off by the 11th seed VCU Rams. Uh, you don't want to go to war. Don't be uh, starting nothing. Won't be nothing there with, uh, with the Peppas, which I actually think you can see. Right behind me there. I got my own Peppa's jersey, by the way. Shout shouts. Uh, so I think Duke is probably headed toward that kind of season. It could salvage it. You told me they wind up on the three or four line. I'd believe it. But I think the more likely thing is that Duke, you know, might just uh, work its way to four or five seed status when we get to March. Yeah. Just to clarify, this will be Duke's worst seed in theory. Could be since then. But Duke did miss the NCAA tournament in right. 2021. Um, I Listen, you know, did I have Duke too high in the preseason? It seems pretty obvious that I did. I, I had them like, you know, top six or seven, and they don't appear to be that right now. Uh, like we've talked about before, a lot of the belief in Duke was tied to the idea that they were enrolling, you know, three of the best four freshmen in the country. And the truth is, Filipowski's been good, really good, but Lively has not performed at the level that was expected. Whitehead hasn't performed at the level that was expected and neither lively nor Whitehead were available at wake forest and Filipowski. He was four of 14 from the field. So take everything you thought about Duke two months ago, and then imagine somebody telling you on December 20th um, of those three, you know, uh, elite level high school prospects that, that have, made you think Duke's going to be really good against Wake Forest on December 20th. Two of them aren't going to play, and the other one's going to miss 10 of the 14 shots he takes. Well, then that's probably that's probably a loss. So I, I'm with you. I, um, I, I think it's it's pretty clear at this point Duke is not going to be what some of the preseason – I don't – I shouldn't say that. It, it There's a lot – there's some evidence to suggest Duke probably isn't going to be 
what some of the preseason expectations suggested, but I still think this can be one of the, you know, 25 or so best teams in the country. I still have the blue, blue devils in the top 20 at number 20 in the top 25 uh, in one. But I will say if you're a first year coach replacing a legend, you never want those graphics popping up on the television. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless start since 1983, that you don't want that. It's just bad business. Um, you know, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the context, because you can you can argue it away by saying, "Well, yeah, sure," but the schedule's been harder than most of Duke's schedules were throughout. You know, the Coach K reign. I don't know if that's true or not, but you could say it and and point to some stuff. I'm certain. And then, like, yeah, you know, we had injuries in the preseason. Two of my top you know, three freshmen didn't even play in that one game. There's a lot of stuff you can point to to explain it away. But still, you just you don't want those graphics popping up on television when you're a first year coach replacing a legend. This is Duke's worst start uh, since the 1982-83 season. More specifically, the first time Duke's lost three games before New Year's since the 82-83 season. Cal Neptune dealing with the same thing, right? When when uh, Villanova started two and five, there was a lot of these graphics popping up. Like, this is the worst start for Villanova since blah, 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 blah. Now, again, you could point to some stuff. Cam Whitmore's not playing, so of course we're losing. And now Cam Whitmore's back, and we're 4-0. But when you're a first-year coach replacing a legend like John is with Mike or with Kyle is with Jay Wright – um, you, you would your hope is that you get through your first year without this kind of stuff popping up these bullet points. And for those two guys, at least it's uh, it's well, the bullet points have popped up. Let's stick in the ACC because Miami, Virginia, uh, Miami held, held that held control of that game for most of it. Now they almost uh, they almost fumbled away into overtime, but they dodged it. And Reese Beekman couldn't uh, couldn't gather himself and get a shot off on the ultimate play of the game there. Virginia loses back to back games, both respectable games. Both will be. Uh, among the highest level quad one losses they'll have and any team will have, you know, home against Houston and then at Miami UVA is eight and two. And I also meant talked about them on HQ on Wednesday morning. And we're probably not going to have more on the Wahoos to discuss until mid January. Their next notable game is going to be home against UNC on January 10. So they're eight and two. Uh, think Virginia fans probably would have taken that going in now they didn't know they're going to wind up losing that one not losing losing but uh having the Northern Iowa game taken off the schedule so they had a 10 game non-conference schedule as opposed to 11 we've mentioned that a couple times previously due to the tragedy there with the football program but if you would have told UVA fans you're going to get a non-con play with just two losses I think you would have taken that even with the with the top 15 hype going into the season Miami's the bigger story here right now I made the elite eight last season obviously Larnag has done a wonderful job there and after kind of quietly getting there from the 10 line, right? Like I saw him in person. I was at, I was in Greenville, South Carolina when they beat USC. And then just, just, I think we talked, if I didn't talk with you on the pod, that might've been the episode you were off. I might've been talking with Boone or Cobb, but like, they just like eradicated Jabari Smith's college career. It's always fascinating to me when you have like these, uh, these star players and then they get into the tournament, they fail to make the sweet 16 and they're, and they just, <laughs> They leave without any hint of any kind of glory. That's what Miami did to Auburn and uh, Jabari Smith last March. And then obviously they they went against Iowa State before uh, getting handled by Kansas to the Sweet 16. But going back into the season, you know, the, the noise early was that was the Nigel, uh, Nigel Pack stuff. And then the Isaiah Wong, will he, won't he transfer because of all this stuff. And we look up here. I've had the Canes in my power rankings every week since they they always go live for the first time. Uh, like to get a little bit of sample size, and the first edition always goes up after Christmas. Or, I mean, excuse me, after Thanksgiving. They've been in it each week. I think I got to put them top ten this week, GP, because at twelve and one, neutral court loss against Maryland. The way they are winning, the offense looks amazing. Wong probably has to be considered an All American at this point. First, second, third team, however, wherever you want to put him. Overall, he's been outstanding. Nigel Pack has not been the guy that they've hoped he would be, and maybe he will grow into that. Like he was a quality, quality shooter coming out of K State. He's just been he's been a spotty but helpful role player. Norchad Omier has been way more impactful, uh, way bigger player. Uh, the bigger transfer after coming from Arkansas State, where he was the best player in the Sun Belt last season. Larry Nagas, they've got they've got something here, and at this point. When you look at the ACC, not just the standings, Miami's the only one that's played three games at this point. They're 3-0, and so they lead the top of the ledger there. Um, although, shouts to Pitt, by the way, 2-0. and You'll take any kind of victories you can get at any point. So, at least credit Pitt at this point, even though the schedule will obviously probably break the other way for them. Miami has to be considered, I think, the ACC favorite at this stage. The other team that you'd have in that conversation, 
obviously Duke is Duke. Virginia, UNC, that might be it at this stage, right, GP? So, and Miami's as good as any of them right now. I would consider them, and we're just early. So, this is no huge declaration. I just want to give listeners, you know, an, a, a status update. Right now, it's fair to say, with all we've seen, everything through it, 12 and 1, Miami is your ACC favorite heading into 2023. I would disagree with that. Okay. I would still make Virginia my favorite. And I believe Virginia remains my highest ranked ACC school. That's true. I have Virginia dropped them, obviously, uh, but Virginia is, is, he seems will not play again this season in the regular season. Just so you know, that was their one and only meeting in Miami won it. So they got a little benefit by getting it on their home court for, yeah, for sure. Virginia. I had now have 10th in the top 25 and one Miami. I have 14th Duke. I have 20th Virginia tech, 23rd, North Carolina 24th. So those are the ACC ACC schools in the top 25 and one. And obviously massive win for Miami, but I still think over the course of an entire ACC schedule at this point, I'm going to trust Virginia to barely edge Miami and everybody else in the ACC standings. If I had to pick a team right now to win the ACC, even after last night's loss, I would still pick Virginia. If you made me pick as well, uh, I would lean UVA. Miami's going to have a good shot, but they do have the roadies. They do have uh, at Duke. They do have at Virginia Tech, and they do have at North Carolina. So there's some tricky ones in there overall, but a nice a nice little go of it. And Isaiah Wong was in our top 25, I think, 101 players. He wasn't a preseason All-American for us, but he is certainly tracking toward that status right now. I noticed in our Google Doc GP, unless you've got any other thoughts on this one, you also mentioned Marquette because Marquette Providence, CBS Sports Network game. It's awesome, dude. Double overtime. Providence has a way of <laughs> getting to these multiple overtime games. And as of as of late, you know, pulling off pulling off a win. Like the Yukon Georgetown stuff, that like that was noisy. Like I I t- my wife asked last night, she's like, How how busy is uh is the night? I was like, Well, there's a couple of games, but you know, I don't think it actually will be too too crazy. Um, because we're still working through uh, White Lotus, no spoilers and all that stuff. We did not wind up getting to. Oh, I, I I can tell you exactly what happened. No, 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 no. So we did not. I can tell you. I can tell you everything about That's it. Enough. That's enough. I knew I shouldn't have even mentioned it. So, um, <laughs> so then, uh, uh, she she went to UConn, but she doesn't like college basketball. Um, and so <laughs> I was like, your husky. I was like, your huskies, man. They're in it right now. And uh, and she's like, oh yeah, Georgetown. They're they're good. I was like, well, they aren't supposed to be. Uh, they aren't supposed to be rolling at, at, at this kind of level right now. My brother, my youngest brother, was actually at the game. He got tickets on a whim last minute. It was like, I might as well go and watch UConn win by 30. And then lo and behold, he's texting me. He's like, is Georgetown going to win this thing? So that was compelling. But the Providence game was way more so. And Marquette had a good opportunity here to get to 10-3. and three. It's ranked right now, I think, 24th in the AP uh, rankings. And just re-solidify its bona fides there. Marquette's still solid. They're still performing better than I predicted that they would to this point. Um, there isn't a bad loss on the resume yet at Purdue, neutral Mississippi State, home against Wisconsin, which Marquette wants back desperately. That was an OT loss and then a double OT loss against Providence. So there's no bad L right now. Those are all Q1 defeats. But I thought it was real big for Providence at 10 and three um, to get this one. Now, two and oh in the Big East opened up with a road win over the weekend at Seton Hall in league play. And uh, they'll be off for nine days. But. Bryce Hopkins for 29 and 23 in this game. And it is like, I did notice uh, some of the chatter on Twitter with all this stuff. Like Croswell's been a good player that's returned. I actually thought Jared Bynum would be a lot better than he's been. He has not been. He has not been a top two or three player on this roster here. Devin Carter, South Carolina transfer has been very good. And then Bryce Hopkins has been a top 10 player among all Big East programs to this point. And the fact that Kentucky is a little bit lost right now, I'm not saying if Hopkins was still on the roster, we'd be talking about a Kentucky team with one loss or anything like that. I'm not necessarily saying that, but he was not utilized a ton last season, could barely get on the floor. He transfers. This could very well be like, I know for Kentucky fans that couldn't help but notice what he did in this game and really carrying Providence to a win. I get all that. There's no telling that if he was still there, that he wouldn't still be in something of a bit of a role player. Like this might be a case where a guy really did need a change of scenery, a different scheme, a different coach. And there's just something about the alchemy with how he's made as a player and how Ed Cooley runs the program and how he runs their stuff that it's all working. And right now it is absolutely working for Hopkins and for Providence. 
He's at what, like 17? He's at almost 18 points, more than nine boards a game, almost three assists a game. He's been uh, he's been one of the surprise transfers in the entire country, and that's a big win for Providence to get to 10 and three and increase their chances. I don't know if they're going to be a tournament team or not, but that's the kind of win where you almost need it when you're looking back if you're going to wind up being a bubble team. Good on Ed Cooley's Friars. They're uh, like Bryce Hopkins scored 29 last night against a ranked team, and Kentucky scored 53 the other day against a ranked team. And so if you're a Kentucky fan that I, I don't, I don't want to pretend to know exactly how a Kentucky fan could feel about anything, but I would assume you'd look at that and go, Oh man, really? <laughs> because, because there's, there is a, like a, uh, a history of this type of thing happening. The latest version is Bryce Hopkins, but before that it was Johnny Juzang. And before that it was Kyle Wilcher, like guys who can't get on the court at Kentucky uh, for whatever reason, and then they go to these other places, and they're amazing, and um, and 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 that certainly seems to be the case with Bryce Hopkins right now. There was a funny moment. I don't know if you saw it at the end of uh, it, toward the end of Marquette Providence. It was on CBS Sports Network. Uh, the Tom McCarthy and Steve Lapis were on the call. I just worked with them on Saturday um, at, at Villanova St. Joe's, and at, at the buzzer of the first OT, Devin Carter like really blew a layup. I mean, it was. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was like if you take a, I'm not trying to be goofy, but it was like, you ever take a 12 year old basketball player who's right-handed and say, all right, now go make a left-handed layup. And they just throw it off the backboard. It's just all awkward and weird. That's what it looked like. He just threw it off the backboard and it went in. And so he missed it. It's like, we're headed to double overtime. And then of course, like we always do, you go back and show the slow motion replay and it sort of emphasizes exactly how badly he missed it i could just hear it you got to know lap to like truly enjoy this moment but you could just hear it in his lap's voice how disgusted yes. he was with that he was like he had a layup <laughs> and, and then and then uh they show it again and tom mccarthy's like and devin carter could not find the nylon the nylon and, the, and we're going to break they're like seconds away from break and laps like the nylon couldn't find the rim. <laughs> couldn't find anything. And I was like, poor guy. I, I hope I, I don't really have any hope, but like, ugh, you don't want to, you don't want to blow a layup like that. And then your team lose. So fortunately for Devin Carter, fortunately um, for uh, Providence, uh, they, they, they did pull away a little bit in overtime and win that thing. One Oh three. Uh, 98. So I did drop Marquette out of the top 25 and one. I moved Maryland back in and I hate moving Maryland back in on a three game losing streak after losing by 27. Cause like somebody's going to see that and go, you know, they just lost. Of course I know they just lost, but I, like I've explained many times, I keep a running list of teams and Maryland's like 27 the, the the entire resume if you cannot focus too much on the last three games but like focus on the entire resume like forget when the games were played just like let's look at this body of work Maryland still is uh, a very reasonably ranked and I moved the Terrapins back into the top 25 and one to replace the Marquette team that I had to get out of there and we are uh yeah, we're really hitting a, 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 a slow stretch here. We'll we'll preview the night games in just a minute here. But, you know, a, a few uh, a few good games this week before we get into, you know, some downtime over the over the Christmas uh, break before stuff picks up again uh, again next week. Yeah, we'll look ahead to what's interesting on Wednesday night and Thursday night in a second. But next, Norlander had a nice piece on UMass coach Frank Martin that posted earlier today. We're going to spend some time on that next. First, though. Uh, a word from our partners. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Norlander had a nice piece on UMass coach Frank Martin this morning about life as a coach, about a lot of things, but among those things, life as a coach with a family, changing jobs and the complexities of that. It's your story. I'll let you take it from there. Okay. Well, thanks, GP. Yeah. Uh, spent, we, we should spend a couple minutes on this because uh, I think, frankly, Frank and his wife, Anya, would, would want us to even more. So story behind the story is this. Um, I saw Frank at a recruiting event in Connecticut, here in Connecticut, over the summer. And, you know, he's a few months into the job and was just talking to him. How are we doing? How's life? How's the family? And you know this. Frank Martin is a different kind of coach. He just he. If he's got something on his mind, he'll he'll tell it to you. And uh, and I I so appreciate him for that. And so when we were talking, that's when he he indicated to me, he's like. He's like, Matt, it's uh, it's not as easy as everyone thinks it is. And, you know, he's a few months into like, you know, a career reboot. And I thought, well, that's that's interesting. So we, he shared a few things. Um, and in that moment, we were more kind of speaking informally and, and casually. But he, he shared a few anecdotes uh, that didn't even wind up making the story that that just kind of stuck out to me. So then. Um, I saw him again on the trail in July and then, uh, we linked up and I was like, can I, can I come up and, uh, and see the team and, and check it out? And then we, you know, I went up there with the intention of probably writing about, you know, a, a new start, nothing like too crazy, too big, but I did ask, I was like, listen, I actually I called him first. I remember being at my, uh, my younger son's, he was getting ice skating lessons or he called me or something like that. And, uh, and so he had mentioned this again, just kind of the stuff like, like you know, it's, it's not so easy going through these kind of changes. And I was like, Frank, you know, you've brought this up a couple of times. Like, would, would you be interested in like talking on the record about it so I can write a story about it? But if you're not like it's, it's completely fine, because as you well know, Parrish, like, before I continue, I'll just toss this back to you. Like there are just occasionally there are there have been moments right over the years where you'll talk to a coach. Maybe it is in July right after they get a job or you talk to them in the middle of a season and it won't be for the matter of the record, but you, they might just be like, and I've had this happen. Just they'll be like, man, like, you know, I'm just, I'm having issues at home or just like, yeah, like, you know, wife's fed up with me, et cetera. Like the point of the story is they're like the life of a coach. And particularly after you change jobs, uh, just because you get paid a ton of money doesn't mean that you don't encounter some really significant challenges and in many ways stresses that everyday people don't encounter. I assume you've heard, you know, anecdotes like this. Oh, yeah. Like my, my, my main thought from the story was that this is Frank's story, but it's not a story unique to Frank. Like correct. We, we yeah. could, we could find 50 coaches who would have this, ex- this a very similar story. But the point that Frank is making is this is a bit taboo and coaches shouldn't right. be afraid to talk on the record about it. Very few coaches would have done what Frank did here. Because what happens is, and, and we should just state this matter of factly, and then we, we can talk about it within the context um, because the issue becomes nobody wants to hear a guy who just signed a $10 million contract complaining about anything. Like the overwhelming majority of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Um, uh, too, too many Americans are struggling below the poverty line. So when you hear some multimillionaire coach say, boy, I tell you what, my life really is difficult. Nobody wants to hear it. That said, and I've stressed this for years, just because somebody has money doesn't mean they don't have problems doesn't mean they don't have struggles like you don't have to worry about paying your gas bill your light bill and your mortgage and that's a awesome thing to have off the table like i i um i I can remember being a young adult and not having money and and really having to live paycheck to paycheck like i know you know i wasn't born into money my i'm the first college graduate in my family my parents worked hard and i I was a very um i lived a comfortable life but when i got out on my own you know it it wasn't easy at at first so i know what that's like and i know how i would have thought um if i would have heard some guy who's made 30 million dollars complaining about how tough his life is i'm like yo man you ever you ever set at a restaurant and called 1-800-REGIONS to check your balance to see if you have a, enough uh, money in your checking account to, 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 to order you know, uh, an, an appetizer at Applebee's? Because like that's, that's, I can remember doing that when I was an adult um, in, in my 20, early 20s. So that's, that's why it's taboo is because coaches know what the immediate response will be. But just because you have money doesn't mean you're – day-to-day problems 
don't still exist. And for coaches where that really can become problematic, first off, these guys work long hours. They travel a lot. Um, their, their spouses and their children often pay a price for their careers. Now, the other side of it is an incredible home and private schools and all sorts of advantages. But, you know, coaches, kids don't see their fathers as much as probably a lot of other kids see their fathers. And, and, and same goes for spouses. And yes, I, I, I have had a million coaches talk about the exact same things Frank was talking about. I can remember, and I, I don't think this, this person would mind me telling this story, um, exactly the same thing you're talking about being on the road summer circuit right after brad underwood had taken the illinois job and i same thing bump into him hey brad what's up how you doing and it was just like not great you know this is hard you know i'm living in a hotel i put on 20 pounds i'm working every, you know nonstop every day and my family's still not with me and i and like he was really stressed yeah. about all of that amazing opportunity to you know to have that job and that contract and but this was a guy he was like i'm living in a hotel working every day not seeing my family and gaining weight i'm not things aren't great how are you gp it was one of those types of deals and you're like i'm awesome buddy yeah you know yeah but but like when coaches make i think sometimes you think well this guy coached here and now he coaches there and he's got a lot of money and it must be awesome and it is any of these guys could retire if it wasn't awesome all right but sometimes you got to pay a real price to to change jobs you know in this profession i know coaches who and where it really becomes difficult is i've had i've had coaches tell me they didn't take jobs strictly because their kid was about to do a senior yes. year. That happens regularly. Yes. I've had, I've had a coach tell me I would have taken that job, but I could not with, I could not bring myself to make my daughter change high schools before her senior year. And I didn't want to leave my family behind so that my daughter could finish her senior year. So I'm staying, I'm just keeping this job because of my daughter's age or my son's age. I've had multiple coaches uh, tell me that I, I know a coach who took a job one time just before his daughter was going to be a senior in high school. And he actually left. Cause you got to think about the timing of this. These men always take these jobs in March or April, right? With, with few exceptions, it's March or April, like you're finishing up the school year. So every time, literally every time a coach changes jobs, his family stays behind at least for the initial months, maybe not literally every time, but way more often than not, nearly every time, because you got to finish whatever year of school you're in. And then they make the move. But I had a coach tell me my, uh, like he was in his first season. It's like January of his first season, his new job. And I'm like, so you guys get settled in, got a new house. He's like, no, I'm living in a hotel. My family's still back in my old, at my old spot because my daughter didn't want to change high schools. So, yes, you know, so my, my whole family's living where I used to work. And now yes, I'm, yes. I'm living here where I work. And, uh, you know, I don't care how much money you got. That's not easy. And that's not fun. And I, I was pleased to see Frank talk about it so candidly and openly. And best I can tell before we started this podcast, um, there were some other coaches on Twitter who could appreciate him talking about it because they know exactly what he's going through. One coach texted me this morning. Let me see what it's read you what he said. He said, I'm sitting here nodding with every single quote that Frank Martin has in your story. Um, did wind up, of course, hearing from a few coaches. The point is that it's not unique, as you said. This is a re not for every family, you know, um, but with plenty of coaching families across college sports, probably, frankly, across pro sports. The exact thing you just mentioned, there's a lot of stuff that didn't make the story, but there, Frank had a staffer last season at South Carolina. He's now at Clemson. He's at Clemson. His family's still in, at, in Columbia. There He's living away from his family right now. And that's a, that's a major thing. Like you and I, we're not doing that. I wouldn't handle that well. You tell me that I got to live away from my wife and kids for the majority of a year? No shot. Not doing that. And a lot of, and because of the nature of the job, uh, it, it calls for that. And so Frank and his wife, Anya, were amazing to talk to. His, his daughter, Amalia, was awesome to talk to. And this was, you know, it, it, as I write in the piece, like it did feel like it was almost like another 
level of therapy for them to talk through this? Because it has not been easy. Like, I needed to be very tender with the story uh, to be to be pun unintended, to be frank. There were even a couple of quotes and anecdotes there that I actually thought were so revealing. I was uncomfortable including them in the story, given that they include, you know, children. So I did not. Uh, but Frank and Anya were just amazing and 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 wanting to do this. Anya said there's going to be a lot of coaches wives who read this stuff and they're going to identify. She mentioned I'm not going to name the coaches, but she mentioned two coaches who. I would consider among the 30 to 35 most recognizable names in the country. And she's had many conversations with them over the years about just how difficult this stuff can be. And they just don't think it should be something that people should shy away from talking about only because it's probably good to talk about it and the mental health impacts on it as well. And, you know, I, I get what you're saying when it comes to a coach and you're, you're well off making millions of dollars but as frank even says like you know that money isn't helping my daughter yeah overcome this like we have we have real issues and i mean you can go ahead here i'm continuing my thought but like it was compounded by the fact that in the final two years of south carolina like the environment there and you've talked about this previously with uh turgeon uh it got real bad like frank does not anya said frank does not complain at home he if he's complaining something is is extremely wrong he just does not vent about work and at a point it got she knew like this was an irreversible decision yeah i want to be clear uh because sometimes i like what i was doing with this frank martin story is saying the reason coaches don't want to talk about the struggles they're having in their lives while making these moves is because the reaction from some people is shut up you've got all this money what are you complaining about I want to be clear. That's not the reaction from me. I'm just telling you that is what the reaction would be from son, from some. Sometimes, and this happened on a recent episode, I'm trying to, to provide an alternative perspective. Like, well, here's what this person is probably thinking. Here's what here's how these people would probably react. And then I look on Twitter and it's like, Gary Parrish said this. And I'm like, Gary Parrish did not say that. I was explaining to you. With, 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 with nuance and context, you know, a, a different side of this thing. So when I say when I go through that whole spill about, you know, does Frank Martin know remember what it was like to struggle to pay? I'm saying that's what some people would say. It's not what I say. I was explaining how I can. I understand how just because you have money doesn't mean you don't have issues with your children or issues with your wife. Having money takes some real life stress off of your life, but it doesn't eliminate all stress. And I think Frank's story and a lot of coaches' stories would demonstrate that. Um, the other place where this gets complicated is when coaches, um, they have a family, they're working a job, they're in a city, they divorce. Yes. And then they get offered a new job and then they have to make a decision. Do I leave uh, to take this job in a vacuum? I should and I would, but it's going to mean I'm moving across the country from my children. Can I convince my ex-wife to move with us? Like I, I th those things happen too, where the ex-wife will 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 move with her ex-husband, not together, but to the same city, um, so that this child doesn't have to be raised, you know, uh, in, a, in a place where the father isn't living. And, but, but the, the other thing is, is um, sometimes coaches do have to make that decision. Um, it's an incredible opportunity for a lot of money, but it will require me to, or, or more accurately, it'll require my son or daughter or both in some cases to grow up without me as a daily presence in their lives how do you balance those things? I, I'm fortunate I've never had to make a decision like that, but that type of decision would terrify me. And in talking about this, and you know, Anya, who went to UMass, and I don't want to give up the whole story. We'll link it in the podcast description here, but the, it, it's even more intriguing in that Frank Martin got asked, he told me by at least four schools that he said no to. I don't know what schools. I didn't ask him what schools. I don't need to know schools. That's irrelevant. But the fifth school was UMass. And this is this past, you know, March when he got fired. Uh, schools even reaching out in advance of that because they, they saw the writing on the wall. And Frank, actually, I don't know if he had said this publicly. I think he had not revealed it publicly before, but he, uh, I mean, we, we knew this was the case, but he, I think he kind of spoke on it on the record for the first time. Like, 
they they did they there were significant efforts to try and actually uh you know have a coup and get him out in 21 but he he saved it for one more year and part of why he saved it was one he wanted to keep doing the job there obviously but and he didn't want to pull his kids out of us he didn't want to have to leave at that point in their lives there um but anya was a track athlete at umass in the 1990s so she's actually she went to school in this area but as she explained and she was I mean, when we did the interview, she was emo- like she was she was crying many times throughout. It, and she said they were good cries. But it was like it was an emotional experience for her to go through this. And I want to say publicly, like, I, I so appreciate her willingness to to talk about this. And she sent me a wonderful text message this morning that just reiterated actually how helpful it is for her to speak on this again and have this story out there. She actually thinks it's helping in their healing process, in their transition process. But when she went to school at UMass, like people think, oh, you went to UMass. That's awesome. Like you guys are coming home. She's like, I, I was from like York. I went home on every weekend. If I wasn't competing, like I went to school, I was on the team. But otherwise, like, you know, I didn't have some like amazing like I was fine. I enjoyed my time here, but it wasn't like the most incredible thing ever. And so for her uh, and the piece references this, like you would think like Frank would be like, all right, let's do this. As long as you guys are good with it, let's do it. She would not tell him if she was in favor or against the job until Frank decided independently if he was for it against it. Imagine that. Like, you're going through this. She would not tell him. She would not tell him until he came to the decision, I want the job, but I will only take it if you're going to say yes. She was, of course, on board with it. But as the piece details, like, they had multiple sit-downs with their family because, you know, his daughter's a senior now. I had to move as a senior in high school. Terrible experience. Terrible. And there were teachers at his daughter's school that after he took the job, they said, man, is your dad really going to make you move? Like, he's going to be that terrible of a person. He's going to make you move your senior. So she, Amalia, changed her mind. She's like, I don't want this. We're, I'm not moving. I'm not moving. It was a huge thing. And he's he's thousand miles away trying to do the job. So the point is, this kind of stuff is what coaches will talk about. They're like, when they talk, like, behind the scenes with each other, with their agents, this is as much dominates the conversation as any other part of it. So... Appreciate us talking a good 15 minutes here um, because it is very, very real and it is so seldom discussed, but, uh, but it is the reality of what a lot of families go through. And, and moving is a major trauma. If you're not yet of college age, like it is a major life trauma. No, as I say in the piece, it's not a life-threatening illness and there are many other bigger problems, but uh, it can create instability and major stress. And so the point is, yeah, UMass is off to a nice start. Nine and three, they haven't been this good since the last time they made the tournament and they've only made the tournament once. And, and that was back a decade ago and they've only made it once in 25 years. Right. But it does come at a certain level of cost and they're getting there. Like they're it's, it's getting better, but it's still not all the way there. And so, and there's no telling if Martin's going to be the guy. Like, I think he might, I think he might actually do a pretty good job at UMass, but there's, there's no guarantee. So my thanks to him, very few coaches would be as willing to be as transparent on the record as Frank Martin, particularly with the story there's a couple quotes in there where, man, he's just like, I walk in my house, I'm on eggshells, I can feel the tension. He's basically laying out like, I walk in and I can just feel it in the first 10 seconds I walk in the house. I was like, this is not, they've had a terrible day. You know, something's wrong with my son or my wife or my daughter or all of them. Maybe they're, they might all be fighting and now I got to handle it. I can't, I can't just say I've had a tough day at work. I don't want to deal with it. I have to do this. You know, I, I made this choice. It's almost like they allowed him to do it. But after that, he takes it all on himself. And it all ties back to the story starts out with him and being at a dealership in 1988 because he had a father who left him when he was 10 years old. I'm not going to give away the, the, the whole opening, but it's an unreal scene. And basically the way that he was treated by his father affected Frank in how he was going to live his life and be a father, be a family member for the rest of his life. And so like that scene in 1988 kind of sets the tone for the next 30 years of his life and it really brings us to the situation he found us uh, himself in today so we'll put it in the podcast description um i've gotten a few nice notes from folks i appreciate that but I, it's not me it, this is completely frank martin's story and if he's not willing to tell it and go on the record with it then whatever i'm just the vessel for it and uh i appreciate him and him being willing to uh to share that because it is again it is not uncommon but that's the exact point is that people should be more aware of the fact that there are uh there are very significant stresses and struggles that uh, children that are born into this that have no say over it. Right. And, and, and coaches, wives and spouses and all that stuff. It's uh, 
it's uh, it's pretty interesting. So just think about that the next time you catch uh, UMass playing basketball and, and any coach that's in a new spot. Many of them are probably going through a tougher time than you might realize. Before we get out of here, um, like I noted, it, we are in a week uh, before the Christmas holiday where there's only one game on the entire schedule between two ranked teams in the AP poll, and that was last night, Virginia at Miami. There are a couple of games over the next couple of days that that are interesting to to various degrees. Tonight, Wednesday night, St. John's at Villanova, and then Thursday night, Illinois against Missouri in St. Louis. Thoughts on either one of those? Well, I will also mention Michigan, North Carolina, 7 Eastern. Nada, you'll be there. Jordan Brand Classic. Real quick, Nada, turn on your turn on your mic. You were at Florida, Oklahoma. Uh, now you'll get uh, Wolverines, Tar Heels. How is, you know, good event? It's time to be super well attended. I know they had women's games last night and tonight. Um, this is the first time they've done it. A quick, uh, quick impression of it, my man? Easily, easily one of the best experiences in terms of an MTE that I can think of. And mm-hmm. quite honestly, the court's done well. Charlotte Sports Foundation put on a great event, has put on a great event for this jump, Jumpman Invitational. There was a media shoot-around earlier today. Might have made a college three on, on Spectrum Center floor. Okay. <laughs> so outside of that, like it's been a great event, and it, I'm expecting a borderline home game for the North Carolina Tar Heels tonight. So outside of that, I'm looking forward to it because it's been a great event, and – I hope I hope we can I get I get to see more of these because it's kind of awesome. North Carolina opens its locker room after its games win or law lose. Uh, nada. If uh, if the moment is good for it, go introduce yourself to Leaky. Tell him we say hi. He was uh, he is the absolute goods here, man. We it is a complete coincidence that he wound up being a, an every show episode mentioned kind of guy. Um, by not to, you heard the episode in the preseason, but the interactions I've had with him over the you know over the over the decades, <laughs> over the past few months, he's the goods. So he will, uh, he should be tremendous. Keep an eye on that. And, you know, obviously both those teams, Michigan's seven and three, um, North Carolina's eight and four to GP's point, not the rank matchup. It's a high profile. Well, how about rank. this? How about this? This is what, ha- like this, when people say rankings don't matter, you know why, you know, among the many reasons rankings do matter, that game wasn't even on my radar. Yep. Yeah, no, exactly. I know. I hear you as, as, as without a doubt. So that'll be one to watch because the, the loser of it's going to be in, you know, tricky resume spot there. St. John's at Nova Wednesday night, six thirty. You, you know, there's there's plenty of intrigue with the game just in terms of Nova six and five. This is like if you're going to dig yourself out of the hole, you got to beat St. John's at home for the Johnnies. 11 and one, like beating Nova on the road isn't going to necessarily like validate you that much more, but it's it's going to get you on the path to getting ranked and and building an NCAA tournament resident. They, they did not have a good non-con schedule. I'll also note on Wednesday night, um, Auburn plays at Washington. That's just a random non-conference game. I don't totally understand. Bruce Pearl, more power to you, scheduled at USC on Sunday and then they're at Washington tonight. It could benefit them to, to try and steal one on the road. I don't know if they'll be able to do that, but uh, Mizzou, Illinois is the game I'm interested in most in GP nine o'clock brag and rights game always in St. Louis on that neutral court there. Mizzou 10 and one was just rolled by Kansas 11 nights ago. Um, and then Illinois, I don't have the quotes up in front of me. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but they beat Alabama A&M by like 21. But afterward, Matthew Meyer and some other guys were basically saying, it was a continuation of the of the viral Brad Underwood press conference clip that we ran uh, a few episodes ago where they were just saying, like, we're not on the same page. There's a ton of work to do. And particularly coming off a win, um, there was a real sense of urgency. So I'm interested to see Illinois' body language in this game on Thursday night and how strong they come out against a Missouri team that's going to have, even though they've got a gaudy record, again, terrible, terrible non-conference schedule. But that's to be expected first year under Dennis Gates. No no shame whatsoever in scheduling that in your first uh, first season as a high major coach. But if Missouri is going to build itself a nice resume, like this this is your last second to last non-conference game, like peel it off if you can. So that's the one to me by far that I've got the most interest in. Yeah, you know, Villanova is just 6-5, and five, but but 4-0 with Cam Whitmore, you know, um, available he is the five-star freshman i got to see him in person on saturday at st joe's and boy he's put together you know like i don't get to go to as many 
games as I used to go to because of my television responsibilities. At this point, I really only go to games and if I'm doing sideline reporting on them. Uh, very few outside of that. But I've, I've worked a Houston game this season, and I've worked a Villanova game this season, which has given me an opportunity to see two likely one-and-done lottery picks in Cam Whitmore and Jarris uh, Walker. And I will tell you, you don't have to know anything about basketball to just walk in the gym and go, those guys look different than everybody else. They just look different than everybody else. And he has been a real different – Cam wasn't great against St. Joe's, but he has been really good, broadly speaking, uh, since he returned from off-season thumb surgery. He had thumb surgery, and it, it, it um, forced him to miss the first seven games of the season. But since he's re- been available, Villanova has not lost. Um, so that's going to be a, an interesting game. And then with Missouri – um, it's, it's year one of Dennis Gates, it, it, you know, everything that's a positive is gravy 10 and one is, I don't care what the schedule is. If you take over a program and basically remake the roster overnight via the transfer portal, if you win 10 of your first 11, you're going to feel pretty good about that. But you know, they, they haven't really played anybody other than Kansas and they got blasted by Kansas. So this is an opportunity to, prove that that maybe there's some substance there that this team can be uh, a legitimate contender for the NCAA tournament Um, because if you get blasted again then it becomes pretty simple for people to say hey 10 and 2 is nice but every time you play a real team you get absolutely hammered so we're not going to expect much from you uh, in the SEC, so that that's that's among the reasons that's interesting to me. Um, let's see if Missouri can can play competitively with Illinois, maybe beat Illinois. Uh, if so, then then that makes it pretty interesting going into you know the SEC. If they get hammered again, then you can start to not not ignore, but just just until they show otherwise, just assume that they're not quite ready to beat that caliber of an oppo- of an opponent or even compete. Uh, okay. So yeah, so we got a couple of interesting games next couple of nights figure. We'll open, we'll have a Friday episode Festivus Christmas Eve, Eve Friday, I think 11 AM as usual is our target there. But, uh, so maybe we open with a couple of thoughts if they're relevant there, but I think the plan, listen, I, 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 Christmas mailbag. All right. Let's, let's bring the goods here. We have plenty. I can't wait to ask you some of these questions. GP. I just, we, and, and by the way, I think we got a couple, but Nada, you want a couple more, right? Shout to CBS at gmail.com, okay? If one or two of you got 10 seconds, hey, guys, this is so-and-so from so-and-so. Here's my question. In and out. We'll get a couple more video submissions to mix in with some written ones. A little Christmas stuff under the tree in advance, and then you can listen to it on Festivus, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, whenever you want. But we want to, there's not going to be, there's no games on Friday. We normally pick games. There's no games this weekend. We've got the Diamond Head Classic, but whatever. GP is going to be on cloud nine for the next 72 hours minimum because you got Correa. Um, How about waking up to that, my man? I did wake up to it. How about, I know it broke at like 2.40 in the morning East Coast time. Yeah, I was dead asleep. I uh, yeah. I didn't even make it all the way through Grizzlies Nuggets last night. And uh, I woke up and I actually had a text message from a friend that was like, whoa. And then I was like, what? And then I, I was like, is this real? Like, is this, wow, is, right? how did this, because for people who don't know, he had agreed to a 13-year, 300-plus million dollar contract with the San Francisco Giants. Apparently failed his physical, but the Mets don't seem to care. <laughs> Which, which scares me. I don't even know if you care right now. It's just it, 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 it scares me so badly because it reminds there's two professional teams that I care about in this whole world. Only two. The New York Mets and the Memphis Grizzlies. One because I was a childhood fan and the other because it's my hometown. And this it feels like it could be Chandler Parsons all over again. That's a good like, point. Like the reason the Grizzlies were able to sign Chandler Parsons to a $90 million contract via free agency is because nobody else would offer the money. Like the, the initial reporting was Portland was in there, but my understanding is Portland was like, man, there's, there's some problems here. And the Grizzlies were like, we'll sign you. We don't, you know, we don't, we don't need to, to go through an extensive physical, the way the Blazers want to. And I believe Chandler was advised like, Hey, listen, there's $90 million on the table from Memphis right now. I, th- I think Chandler actually told this story in a podcast. His agent was like, there's $90 million on the table for Memphis right now. They're not asking any more questions about anything. All you have to do is sign it. Or 
because his preferred destination was Damian Lillard, Portland. Or you can go to Portland and go through this physical, but they might red flag you. And if they red flag you, then you've got problems. So what do you want to do? And Chandler was like, grit and grind. Let's go. <laughs> and, and that was a disastrous contract. So I hope this isn't a, a repeat of that. Uh, but it, it is nice to have an owner who does not care about spending money. That, that part's fun. Early Christmas present for GP. I believe we got Christmas. If you're watching on YouTube and you haven't, if you have not smashed the like button, come on already. We're wrapping up here, but I believe we got some nice Christmas tunes uh, fading out if you're listening traditionally on the way on the phone. Thank you again. We will talk again two days from now. We'll see how the next couple of days go. And then, yeah, if you've got questions. Also, I should mention, I think we'll try and take a, a couple live ones on the show. Chat today was was great. We uh, I do enjoy it, occasionally peeking in and seeing uh, seeing dialogue between the, the viewers here. So that's wonderful. And, yeah, we'll talk to you on Friday. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to... Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to Huck. Thank you guys once again for listening to the College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. While you're there, leave a nice comment. Five stars and some words. There's more of us than there are of them. If you haven't smashed the like button yet, please do that. If you have not, subscribed to the YouTube channel. Like, I don't Come know. On, that's I'm... your Christmas present to us. Am I allowed to flip a double bird? Tell no. me if I can. No. Tell no. me if I can. No, no, no. Tell me if I can. Please don't. Please, please. If you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel yet, double pinky to you. You know what that means. Look at my little, little bitty pinkies. I know. <laughs> I Dude, your, your, your left pinky looks looks like half the size of the other one. What are we doing here? Look at that. My pinkies okay, are that's the, better. My pinkies are the same size. Here we go. I did hear. I do have. I, I my my buddy Jeff Hawkins disclosed to me in recent weeks that his his feet are different sizes. Like one foot's an eleven, and the other's like a nine and a half. That's problematic. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, what is wrong? What? Yeah. Dude. Okay. And then I got other people whose big toes are shorter than their other toes. Like yeah, that that's normal. I'm looking right now. Yeah, I think that's standard. My my second toe is longer than my big toe. I think that's that's SOP, standard operating procedure. Not me, baby. No my study big toes. Yeah, my big toes are my big toes are my. Are my yeah, you know, girth wise, yes, but but no, length. My, my, no, my big toes. My big toe sticks out further than all my other toes. Here, I got little feet and little hands, but boy, everything matches up exactly the way it's supposed to. You know, look at that. Look at that right there. Tiny fingers, my man. All right, let's get out of here. We'll talk to you again on Friday. Bye-bye.